telling the men as we prayed for today and for you a little bit earlier. There's been the, the rain reminded me of the fact that there's been times that while I was preaching, the rain would really start to come down, and I wondered oftentimes if you were hearing me. So if that would happen today and I get louder, it's not because I'm mad. It's because I want you to be able to to hear me. I want you to take your Bible and turn with me to Colossians. Colossians chapter 2. Get started this morning. Colossians, second chapter. a book in front of me, and I want to read the title of the book as it relates to the title this morning of Evidence of Faith. The title of the book is called The Pillars of Christian Character. Pillars of Christian Character, and the subtitle of it is The Essential Attitudes of a Living Faith. And if it wasn't uh, the theme of this day, and if it wasn't already in the bulletin, And if it wasn't already that you've had this past week celebrating the holiday of Thanksgiving, if you were to be asked point blank any other time in the in the year, what what is an essential attitude of the Christian life? Or what marks the believer's life? What are priorities, pillars of Christian character? Would uh, one of the first things that you would say would be, well, it would be to have a, a, a thankful heart. It would be to be grateful, to have this grateful mentality in, that would characterize a believer. I want, you're at Colossians, but I wanted to put Psalm 92 up first, if I could, this morning. And I want you to read it with me. Would you read it with me? It is good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your loving kindness in the morning and your faithfulness by night. Could I paraphrase it this way this morning? That it is good to give thanks to the Lord in the morning and declare his loving kindness. And it is good at night to declare God's faithfulness in your life and throughout the day. That morning and evening, it would be something that would characterize our lives. In the Scriptures, nearly 150 times in the Bible and the Scriptures, you and I, who make profession of faith in Jesus Christ, are called to express thanksgiving to God. We're to be characterized by it nearly 150 times in the Bible. Some 40 times we find it with reference to the book of the Psalms. And it wouldn't surprise you, would it, that in all of Paul's writings, time after time, you, it's not characteristic of every single one of his letters, but most of his letters, he begins by giving thanks for the church and for others, Some 18 times he does that initially, but then in addition to that, some 10 times in his epistles, he instructs 
believers to do to do the same. I want to give you just some preliminary thoughts with reference to this theme that we're celebrating and did this week, and that is so true to the Scriptures. Thankfulness, I'm sure you would agree with me, is a virtue and a grace. More about that a little bit later. It's both a virtue in the Christian life, but a grace of God in the Christian life that is to permeate our very existence. In fact, if you look with me at Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 6, would you go there? Colossians 2, and we're going to move around a bit in our Bibles today. Is that okay? It is a Bible church. We're willing to do that, right? So we're going to look at some different passages and just driving home this great theme that is given to us in the Scriptures. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Kind of sounds like Galatians. We've been driving home, walking in the Spirit, living in the will of God in our lives. Walk in Him. Having been firmly rooted and now being built up in Him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and abounding, some of your translations say if you have ESV, or overflowing with gratitude. It's expressed in the idea of ongoing and characteristic of our lives. Even here, it's instructed to us or for us for this to be characteristic of us, continually and actively flowing from the believer's life. In Revelation chapter 4, verse 9, we won't turn there, but there is that scene of worship going on in heaven. It's the context of those four created beings that are created for the very purpose of worship. And then there's the elders likewise and others that are worshiping God. And part of the worship that's going on there is giving glory through the giving of thanks. You'll see it even mentioned in that verse, Revelation 4.9. There's a little booklet in our book center by Susan Lutz, and it's on the theme of thanksgiving. She makes this statement in there. I thought it was worthy to remember She says, thankfulness allows to be part of what's going on in heaven before we get there. And we're going to be doing a lot of that for eternity when we see Christ and take in the glory of God. But now it's to be a virtue, a grace permeate our lives. Secondly, just thinking through this, getting ready for some biblical other passages and principles, gratefulness is a primary evidence of fruit of salvation. Well, that'd be pretty evident, wouldn't it? D. Edmund Hebert says it this way. If you see a book by D. Edmund Hebert, buy it. If you don't want it, give it to me, okay? He said, it's thankfulness. It, he's talking about thankfulness, is a direct measure of the extent to which we are experiencing the reality of our union with Christ in our daily lives. It is evidence of our salvation, evidence of of our union with Christ. More about this. But because knowledge of salvation should automatically cause us to overflow with gratitude for it. But third, I just, just as a preliminary, I wanted to mention this morning, a lack of thankfulness in the believer's life. A lack of it in the believer's life. In the words of Jerry Bridges, is a most grievous sin. Hmm. That's pretty strong. See, it's more than disobedience. Turn with me to the book of Romans, if you would, to the first chapter. Now, if you're getting anxious about where does this fit into the outline in the bulletin, we're coming to that 
in uh, oh hour or two, okay? Acts. Acts, Romans chapter 1. Would you turn there, please? Romans 1. And I think probably automatically your mind, when you think about Romans 1, is how Paul is starting out in chapter 1, 2, and 3, and he gives this indictment with reference to all of humanity in the predicament of coming into this world as people who are lost and in rebellion and even in rejection of God himself as the creator. Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Why? Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. What is that? For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes and eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or do what? Or give thanks but they became futile in their speculation and their foolish heart was darkened. A most grievous sin in that ingratitude of, is characteristic not only of the God-rejecter, but ingratitude of the unbeliever is a manner in which attributing God's glory to himself or other things. I'm saying it robs God of his glory, do him as God, and all that comes from him. And that's why this is going to be characteristic of the the last days. But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. And what will characterize those times? Men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents. What's the next one? And ungrateful unholy. And as we get closer to Christ's return, people become more wicked and less grateful. Caught the news lately? Kind of seems like we're heading there, doesn't it? We are in last days. And men who do not know God and of sin of all sin, rebellion of all rebellions, is to know Man knows in the depth of his heart, he knows. What is known about God is evident to him. Creation reveals the the reality that there is a creator, that there is a God. Man knows that in the depth of his heart, but he rejects that. As somebody has well said, there's no such thing as an honest atheist. God has said eternity in his heart, according to the book of Ecclesiastes. But the horror of this thing of, of lacking, giving honor to God and glorifying God is the reality that he will not give thanks likewise and even acknowledge that God exists. Hmm. So I want, to, want us to think about this morning the fact, would you agree then that to be thankful will glorify God? That would seem evident, would it not? And we pray, God, you be glorified. We already have this morning. We say we want to live our lives to the glory of God, do we not? 
So if we want to do that, then we're going to think of the fact to live your life to the glory of God is have a thankful heart. You want to live your life to his glory, then you realize that every, every common grace reigned today. Sun coming up this morning, it's there, believe me, it's already there. Breath that we take, these are all truths of com- what is called common grace. Believer and unbeliever, this comes from God. And then as the Bible tells us, every good thing given and every perfect gift is from where? It's from above, coming down from the Father of lights. And being mindful of this as a believer, of this this reality of God and all of it is from him, through him, to him. And the reflection of that in the believer's heart, aware of that, he wants to give thanks. His heart is to give thanks to the very God of heaven. Now turn with me to the book of Luke, the 17th chapter. So thankfulness glorifies the God of heaven. In Luke chapter 17, we have an account in the life of our Savior. Beginning in verse 11. While he was on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, ten leprous men who stood at a distance met him. And they raised their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, He said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they were going, they were cleansed. Hopeless life. Horrible life. Terrible life physically. Hopeless. Away from family. Away from the temple. Away from worship. Away from God. And cleansed. Now one of them, verse 15, when he saw that he had been healed, he turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face face at Christ's feet, giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. You ought to think right now about the, the, the good Samaritan as well. Jesus is really driving this home with reference to others and what they should have done likewise. And yet there's this Samaritan who glorifies God by the giving of thanks. And then Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten lepers, but the nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? Jesus' question about the nine drives home the point of how someone could be so, so blessed experienced the mercy of God, cured of this terrible disease and hopeless life, and at nine failed to give thanks. And could it be right that when he references, go and show yourself to the priests, at least some of them, if not most of them, are of Jewish background. That's where he is. And so the first thing that they would do is that they would go to the priest and the priest would give them uh, uh, cleansing, would affirm their being cured, 
they would now be acceptable in the community, be acceptable to come to temple, be temple, be acceptable to worship. So I would assert to you, if anyone would have known they ought to glorify God with thanksgiving, it were those nine. Or could I say it this way? Could I say it this way? Perhaps those who were most prone, should have been most prone to glorify and thank God, were the ones ungrateful. Could this be true of a Christian? Where were those nine? Where were those nine? This leads to another one that I believe is worthy of us thinking, and that is thankfulness is prompted, is motivated by the believer's main thing. The believer's main thing. I have another little book here by C.J. Mahaney. Have you read this, The Cross-Centered Life? Great book. And he says in chapter 2, what's your life centered on? Cross-centered life. On Monday, Alice bought a parrot. We didn't talk, so the next day she returned to the pet store. He needs a ladder, she was told. So she bought a ladder, but another day passed and the parrot still didn't say a word. How about a swing, the clerk suggested. So Alice bought a swing. Next day, a mirror. The next day, a miniature plastic tree. Next day, a shiny parrot, a shiny, yeah, a shiny parrot toy. Finally, on Sunday morning, Alice was standing outside the pet store when it opened. She had the parrot cage in her hand and tears in her eyes. Her parrot had died. Did it ever say a word, the store owner asked. Yes, Alice said through her sobs. Right before he died, he looked at me and he asked, don't they sell any food at that pet store? What is the believer's main thing? What is the main thing as to the church? What is the main thing as to the Christian life? What has brought us here if not Jesus Christ and him crucified? How can a believer go a day without realizing the God of this world came down from heaven, took upon flesh, lived a sinless life, went to the cross, died a horrible death, resurrected from the dead and he did that for sinners like us and in that sacrificial death he paid the penalty of our sin that we could be forgiven and saved and R.C. Sproul says it best saved from what saved from the eternal agony of the wrath of God in eternal darkness in a place called hell. And God did that for you if you're a believer today. And you ought never, ever to recover from that which is first of all, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. That first of all, Jesus Christ died according to the Scriptures and he died for our sins, and that he was buried, and that he rose again, according to the Scriptures. If that's not our main thing in the Christian life, what is? What more do you and I need to live 
grateful hearts. Can you say amen to that? So much beyond a holiday, beyond this day, though this is a a great day. Thankfulness is motivated by the believer's main thing, which is Jesus Christ and him crucified on behalf of sinners like us to grant to us a forgiveness of our sins and a life eternally in his presence. Thankfulness affirms, likewise, God's infinite goodness in our lives. Now we go back to the Old Testament and turn with me to Psalm 100. The infinite goodness in the believer's in the believer's life. And Psalm 100 uniquely is titled distinct from the rest of the Psalms, although the Psalms are filled with thanksgiving. But Psalm 100, if you have a Bible that gives a little introduction to the Psalm, it will tell you Psalm 100 to be a Psalm of what? A Psalm of thanksgiving. Psalm 100. And I'm saying this morning that thankfulness affirms God's infinite goodness in our life from time to time. Years gone back, back my good friend uh, Robert Anderson, I used to, he used to come and be in the pulpit here. This is way back, and I would go and be in his pulpit. And, and I found out very quickly that in Robert's church, anytime anybody would mention from the pulpit or in teaching the goodness of God and say, God is good, all the people would always say, all the time. God is good. I wonder if you believe that. All the time, in all things, in everything, 1 Thessalonians 5.18, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Goodness of God reflected in a thankful heart. Psalm 100, seven imperatives or commands in these five verses One of them relates to the theme that we're talking about this morning. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful singing. Know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with everybody. Amen and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. Why? For the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting and his faithfulness to all generations. Have you ever asked the question or said to someone else or said to yourself, why is God so good to me? One person nod their head right there. Has God been good to you? Have you ever asked the question, why? I want to answer the question, right? Why God has been so good to you? The answer is God. It is of his nature. It is not about you. It is about God. God is good in all things. Turn with me over to Psalm 105. Psalm 105, verse 1. What does it say? Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Psalm 106. Psalm 106. Praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is what? There it is again. His infinite goodness in our lives. Psalm 106, Psalm 107. How long does this go on? (laughs) Psalm 107, verse 1. How's it begin? Give thanks to the Lord, for he is, here it is again. God is good. 
for his loving kindness is everlasting. And oh my, if he is good in anything, he is good in the fact of his saving grace. That's the idea of loving kindness, his mercy, his grace extended toward sinners. Then if you look in Psalm 107, look at verse 8. Let them, let them give thanks to the Lord. You look at verse 15. Verse 15, there it is again. Look at verse 21. Let them give thanks to the Lord. Verse 31, there it is again. What should characterize a child of God? Constantly. Worship of thanksgiving. It affirms the goodness of God in our lives. We love Jerry Bridges. He's got a wonderful, I think, definition for us of the goodness of God. Not as if we needed it, but he articulates it so well. Here it is. There's Jerry Bridges. Thankfulness to God is a recognition that God, in his goodness and faithfulness, has provided for us and cared for us, both physically and spiritually. It is a recognition that we are totally dependent upon him, that all we are and have comes from him. What a great definition. So if we go from the Psalms and we go over to the book of Romans, I want to thank you again for turning with a happy heart over to Romans chapter 8. Romans 8. Only food later on today for happy hearts. There will be a test. We have a machine for that. Romans chapter 8. Oh, where is he going? You know where I'm going. In everything, give thanks. How can we do that? Now, in a moment, I want to go to an extended paragraph, a quote by J. Adams concerning this. But I want you to go to a familiar verse in Romans 8, and let's look at it again. Romans chapter 8 starts with no condemnation and ends with no separation. That's enough for us right there. Amen? But right here in verse 28, and we know that God causes everyone... All things to what? Work together for good. To those who are the called. That's the saved. According to his purpose. And then we get to verse 29, and we know what is, what's always going on, what's always true in all things. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. And on it goes. On it goes. So when we give thanks, can we give thanks to God in the midst of adversity? Can that go from from our lips, from our hearts to God? When things that are very hard for us, very difficult for us. Now I want to go to to an extended comment by J. Adams, but it's so rich. And he's correlating Romans 8.28 We know that all things work together for good. And he's correlating that with another familiar passage that you're aware of with reference to thanksgiving. It's Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Remember Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Just for the sake of time, I won't turn there, but I'll quote it for you. You know it. It says, be anxious about everything. Amen. Is that how it starts? It says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer, and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known. And then it grants to us a promise. The young people on Wednesday nights, their eyes are now attentive to to commands and warnings and promises. Then there is this promise in verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all 
I love to say, human comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. If your spiritual gift is fretting and worry and anxiety, this verse is for you. This is the put on. What do I put on? Here's what I put on. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known. Bring it all before God, knowing that he's going to guard your hearts with his peace. Now, follow along as I read this quote from J. Adams. Let's think through it and apply it with reference to our lives. He says, when a Christian suffers financial loss, the death of a loved one, etc., the scriptures teach that grief, anchored to hope that doesn't drift into despair, Now, let's stop there for a moment. When he quotes 1 Thessalonians 4.13, when he talks about grief, but it does not turn into despair, we think about how 1 Thessalonians says, and we quote it all the time, we grieve, but not as those who have no what? No hope. So back to it again, back to the quote. When a Christian suffers financial loss, the death of a loved one, etc., the Scriptures teach that grief anchored in hope that doesn't drift into despair is proper. But because of the promises of Romans 8, thanksgiving also is appropriate, even if the specific reason for it do not appear immediately. The master planner is directing the course of events toward the good of his people. The trials and heartaches themselves are an essential part of that plan that ultimately calls for wiping away all tears. The prayer of thanksgiving acknowledges this. The requirement to pray thankfully rather than worry demands of the believer that acknowledgement of God's sovereign goodness. One cannot give thanks meaningfully under adverse circumstances unless he has taken the time to reflect upon the fact of God's providential control in his life. This deeper understanding of the trial, in part, contributes to the peace that follows. Yeah. So can we, can we affirm God's goodness and kindness and mercy and blessing to us even in the midst of adversity. And I would pray that you would say amen to that. Do we still grieve in the course of life with the heartaches we experience? Certainly we do, but not as those who have no hope. And our hope is that God is ultimately bringing this all to good in the present to make you more like Jesus and in the future to get you into his heaven. No wonder his people say God is good all, all the time. So I asked our young people on Wednesday nights, we were talking about scriptures and interpreting the Bible and so forth, and, and I asked them, what's your favorite Bible story? Would it surprise you that someone said, Daniel, in the lion's den, right? And you remember how Daniel, when he was in the lion's den, prior to that, prior to that, he said, God, get me out of this fix no matter what it takes. Is that how he prayed? Look at how he prayed. Remember, this follows the decree. In fact, I think I wrote some of it down. That anyone who makes a petition to any God or man beside you, O king, O king, 
shall be cast into the lion's den. Right? This follows that decree. And remember, when you read this story, this sticks out to you, doesn't it? It says, now, when Daniel knew that the document was signed, he entered his house. Now in his roof chamber, he had windows open toward Jerusalem. And he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and what? Giving a thanks. Now, why could, in that scenario, he doesn't know, it's going, he doesn't know that he's going to be delivered. Why, in that scenario, can he continue to give thanks to God? Here's the answer. Nothing has changed about God. Nothing has changed about him. He remains ever worthy of our thanks in all things. In all things. Thankfulness is a discipline of grace to be developed. Now turn back to Colossians again, but this time to chapter 3. It is a discipline of grace to be developed, to be learned as a constant practice, which becomes a key word, a habit of your Christian life. More than just counting your blessings, but that's a good thing to do. But a constant expression of gratitude in the heart. And when we talk about to be developed, you see, it's a, it's a grace, as we mentioned initially, a grace in the Christian life is God helping and strengthening me and empowering me to do what I naturally do not do. And I'm here to tell you, and it's true of you, and it's true of me, I am not naturally thankful. But there is grace to grow me in this. And when I have my, my perspective on life properly in light of the main thing, great thankfulness then flows from the life. Colossians 3. If you're in that chapter right now, would you say amen? Look at verse 9. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self. Let's do this real loud when we read that verse because you are an excited crowd this morning. I can tell right now you just want to shout hallelujah, okay? When it says, do not lie to one another since you laid, this, laid aside the old self, I'm going to re- read it since, uh, since you laid aside the old Kevin. And I want you to do the same. Don't, don't say Kevin. I want you to say your own name right there. Just your own name. Will you put your own name in there? Okay, here we go. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old... Thank all three of you said yes to your name. That's very good. With its evil practices. And have put on the new. Okay, here we are. We're putting on. Now, you don't put on something without being involved in it. With, you with me? So we put on the new who is being renewed in true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. Down to verse 12. Now notice then, he's admonishing us. He's encouraging us. He's telling us to put this new man on. So as those who have been chosen of God. Wow, what a statement. Holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bearing with one another. Forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against any of you, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things... Yes, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity which we were taught last Sunday. And now let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be, a little louder, and be what? 
Verse 16, and the word of Christ lets you dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. Psalms, hymns, spiritual song, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. There it is again. Verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do all the name of the Lord Jesus, giving, everybody say, giving what? And that last thanks is one of those tenses in the original that is to make habitual of your life. What ought to mark you as a Christian? Bumper sticker with a fish? What ought to mark you? What ought to be most evident in your life? Certainly a love for people. Certainly that fruit of the Spirit that was brought home to our hearts last week. Certainly kindness. All those other virtues. But I'm telling you from the Scriptures today, over and over and over again, Christian is to be marked by a grateful heart. Hmm. Wow. How do we develop that discipline then in our lives? Well, we personalize things like 1 Thessalonians 5.18, in everything give thanks. For this is God's will for me. We personalize it. For me in Christ Jesus. There are so many little things we can do that we can just drive this home. Just take a three by five and put two words on it. Be thankful. Put it in the mirror, in the bathroom. Get up in the morning. It's reminding you to do what? To be thankful. You get ready to go to bed at night. There it is again. Be thankful. There's all kinds of things that you can do. Hide the word in your heart is as significant as anything else. When you pray, when you pray, always pray with what? With thanksgiving. Remember that acronym, ACTS, A-C-T-S. Everybody know it? A-C-T. Adoration, confession, and then what? T, thankfulness. And then the supplication. So there are many ways that we can begin to cultivate, put this on in our lives. And God tells us right here in his word, this is necessary to put on the new man. Mm. Continually. And it is our main thing in light of what Christ has done. One last verse I want you to turn to. Hebrews chapter 13. It is a discipline of grace to be developed. Hebrews chapter 13. Thankfulness, gratitude of the heart in the Christian life, also drives corporate worship. It drives corporate worship. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15. Now I know I've just bounce to these verses, and we haven't really dealt with them to a great extent in context. But the context here is the basic reminders that the writer has given to believers and how they're going to live their lives. Hebrews 13, 15 says this. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, want to stop there for a moment. If I would take more time with this passage, and you, if you have a study Bible, it will probably, on the references near that verse, will reference Leviticus chapter 7. And the reason is because the terminology there in verse 15, when it's carried over into what's called the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, it takes us to what was called the the peace offerings, which were also called thanks offerings. And they were the offerings that Israel gave volitionally out of their own hearts to God, merely to say, Lord, 
I thank you. And the terminology is right here in verse 15, out of Leviticus 7. Through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice. There it is. But of praise to God, that is the fruit of our lips that give thanks to his name. Beloved, we do not come in order to be charged up, to be more thankful. If we're living God's kind of life, we are thankful and we come ready to express it in our worship. When we are living thankful hearts, we are eager to worship with thankful hearts. We are eager to worship. We are ready to worship and we know how to worship. And it drives our worship together at his people, as his people. Is thankfulness a big deal to God? Tell me, is it? Yeah. Is it to characterize our church? Is it? Is it to characterize our walk? Yeah. Why? Glorifies God among everything else, does it not? So let me close with one other verse. You don't have to turn there. It's on the overhead. And I want to read this as a closing prayer, as a closing prayer. So would you listen as I read it? David is praying this as the baton is being passed to his son Solomon, and David is reflecting upon who God is and what God has been like in David's life. Let's make this our prayer too. Let's make this your prayer as I read it. Yours, O Lord, 1 Chronicles 29, 11 through 13. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty, indeed everything that is in the heavens and the earth. Yours is the dominion. O Lord, and you exalt yourself as head over all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. Could this man pray or what? You rule over all. And in your hands is power and might, and it lies in your hand to make great and to strengthen everyone. Now, therefore, our God, we thank you and praise you your glorious name. Can we say amen to that? Amen. Amen. Father, that is our prayer this day, this hour, and I pray that it is in our lives. And thank you for the ultimate evidence of your infinite goodness to us in the giving of your Son that we could believe upon him, repent of our sins, and be forgiven and have a home in heaven. We thank you for that great good news, good news of what Christ has done. And again, all glory to your name, and amen.